0: You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM. Good evening and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and it's a whole new show tonight with a selection of interviews that include a few great events that are coming up. For example, Celine Nickerty from Temple Street Children's University Hospital will be explaining how we can all get begging this week to raise much-needed funds for the hospital. The April theme for the Northern Ireland Year of Food and Drink Celebrations is brewing and distilling, so who better to talk to than a master distiller from the infamous... Bushmills Whiskey, which is only down the road from where I grew up, Lily ramirez Foran and Anthony O'Toole will be talking Mexican food with me. And finally, at the end of the show, I'll be talking to Liam Edwards, chairperson of Conceal Good Food Circle, about the all-Ireland chowder cook-off that's taking place later this month in Conceal, and that's on the 23rd and the 24th of April. If you would like to get in touch with me, I'd love to hear from you. Please drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. So let's get the show on the road, as they say, and put the call in now to Celine from Temple Street Children's University Hospital to find out about the Great Irish Beck Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Céline, how are you this evening?
1: I'm grand, thanks a million.
0: Are you in your kitchen practising your baking?
1: I am, of course. (laughs) Any opportunity.
0: Because you're getting ready for the Temple Street Great Irish Bake, which is on Friday the 15th of April, which is this Friday.
1: That's it, that's
0: it. So tell us what it's all about.
1: Great. Well, it's a really simple premise. It's just we're asking everyone around the country to hold a bake sale, either at home, in their community centre, in their creche, at school, wherever get their friends together, get the local community together and just sell some cakes and raise some funds for Temple Street. It's that easy.
0: It's not the first year that you've done it, so it obviously has been a very successful fundraiser in the past.
1: Absolutely. This is the eighth year now that that we'll be holding it and it's grown every year. It's fantastic. It's really... um, it's really become uh, a tradition almost in the diary. So so we have growing numbers every year.
0: You do offer a lot of support there to people that want to get involved. So tell us what you can do for somebody that says, do you know what, I'm going to do this on Friday.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, first thing we do is we send out a supporter pack. That has everything from stickers to balloons to posters, everything you need to get yourself going and to decorate your cake sale. We also send out regular newsletters to all of our bakers to give them some inspiration, give them recipes, and uh, we keep them updated on all of that. We have a whole load of resources on the website, loads of things like bunting and, and more posters and invitations and all those types of things that they can download. So there's loads of resources. That people can use
0: to get going. And you're talking about inspiration there, you have on the website, Rocky Road Bar recipes and quadruple chocolate cake, all very calor- <laughs> calorific, but sure we <laughs> won't complain it? about that, it will be Friday. And you also have a Lily's St. Clements cake, and that's because Lily Higgins is your ambassador for this event.
1: Yes, yeah, we were delighted, we approached her um, earlier in the year and she was thrilled to get on board, so she has been fabulous she came to dublin to do um, a photo shoot with us to help us launch the event and she's been giving us loads of advice and loads of materials to keep our bakers uh, i suppose uh, inspired and to get them going in the kitchen give them loads of advice so she's brilliant she's absolutely fantastic
0: and lily is one of the judges on the great irish bake-off which is on tv every year it's hosted by anna nolan isn't that right
1: That's exactly it. And she is just so talented. Her recipes, we've just been drooling over her recipes in the office. They're gorgeous.
0: If somebody isn't a great beggar, what can they do? Can they just buy some buns and cheat?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. They can. You know what? I say get everyone involved. Get everybody to pitch in and and do a little bit. Our our thing is that it doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to be anything too fancy. It can be Rice Krispie Cakes. They're retro. Absolutely. Uh, so it's whatever people would like to do themselves. If they want to cheat, they're more than entitled to cheat. If they want to have an elbow as at a rice crispy bun, that's absolutely fine. It's all about just having a bit
0: of fun. Lily Higgins isn't the only person supporting the event. You also are getting some support from a, a, a very large supermarket who has Temple Street as their charity of the year. That's exactly.
1: It. Yeah, Tesco, and they're on board for the second year. So they're fabulous. They're holding the um, bake sales in in Tesco stores all around the country and their staff really are amazing. They go above and beyond uh, for Temple Street. So uh, as as our charity partner, they've raised £1.3 for us in the last year and they're doing huge amounts for the Great Irish Bake as our sponsor. So we're thrilled.
0: That is incredible. It is absolutely incredible. And I, I know personally from knowing people in Tesco's who love this event in particular, they loved it last year, that it is seriously competitive in some of the stores.
1: So I understand. I hear that some of them get up at four o'clock in the morning and start baking and so everything's absolutely fresh and just, you know, the enthusiasm of the staff has just been amazing and, they re- and the, com- the competitiveness is hilarious and brilliant. So we're absolutely thrilled that they throw themselves into it so wholeheartedly. They're just, they're brilliant supporters.
0: And people shouldn't hide their creations under a bushel, so to speak. They should let us all see what they've made through Twitter and Facebook. And you have a hashtag there on Twitter, I see. We
1: do. It's Share them with us at uh, hashtag Great Irish Bake. So we're asking everybody who gets involved to send in their creations, to send in maybe their cake wrecks That's absolutely fine, too. We want to see everything um, because it's all about just having a bit of crack with it. And so definitely uh, we have, you know, we're on Facebook and we're on Twitter and we're on Instagram. So whatever way you want to send them to us, we'd love to see.
0: You said there about Tesco's have raised 1.3 million for Temple Street. Tell us what you're hoping to raise from this particular event this year.
1: Well, so what we're doing at the minute is we have our most ambitious campaign yet, which is uh, we're hoping to raise £5 million for uh, to build a new neurology and renal outpatients unit at the hospital. So currently the facilities that we have for renal and neurology are very small, very cramped and in the main hospital, and we're hoping to build a new bespoke two-storey outpatients unit that would be utterly tailored to uh, to the needs of the children who would attend those. So we're more than halfway through fundraising that five million. We've been working on that for the past eighteen months. So we're really hoping that the funds that that are raised from this event uh, will bring us much closer towards the finish line. Um, we're hoping to have a thousand cake fills this year. So it'd be amazing if we could get there.
0: Fantastic! Um, so
1: we're really hoping to have everybody's support because it's it's a really good you know it's a really good initiative. It's really badly needed in the hospital. And um, will really benefit. It will benefit over six thousand children who attend both those units uh,
0: every year. Well, tell us a bit more about Temple Street itself and the children that visit it every year and stay there every year.
1: Oh, sure. Well, we have over one hundred and forty-five thousand children from all over the country attend every year, and apparently we have one of the most busy A and E units. It's never quiet. There's never a dull day, and uh, I say we have we have kids from all over the country who attend. And um, many who come to the renal unit three times a week to you know for their dialysis, we have kids who are in very long term and um, you know so they'd be there for months at a time, so really, from all walks of life, everything from you know a sprained ankle to very serious neurological conditions and everything in between, but the kids are amazing, they're just so inspiring, they're so positive. And uh, I have to say, my time in Temple Street has just been fabulous to get to know all the families. You know, they're they're just wonderful.
0: It was featured on a TV programme, or there was a kind of a fly in the wall programme a few years ago.
1: That's right, on TV Three there was, and it really was a nice snapshot into, I suppose, the the, the hectic life that is, um, you know, that is a, a children's hospital. But uh, and it there some of the I suppose some of the kids that um that were on that, I would have gotten to meet now since since I've come to work in Temple Street. and uh, It was it, it was a really interesting insight for me, actually, uh, for coming to work in the hospital to kind of get a sense of, of really what it's all about.
0: Because that programme must have been a great way to really showcase, for want of a better word, the, the hospital and what it does and to create awareness about the services that it offers.
1: And that's it. And, of course, to raise awareness about... Why we're fundraising for the hospital, and where we need to, where we need to, to I suppose, push put those funds in, you know, into improving uh, our facilities at the hospital. So yeah, it really showed uh, the hard work that is, that's done by the doctors and nurses, and really everything that we do in, in fundraising is, is to support that work and to make life easier on the families and easier on the staff as well.
0: I visited the hospital myself a couple of years ago and had a tour around it and one of the the things that I was told was that a lot of the money that goes into the equipment that you're very conscious about this equipment may may have to move to a different location in a few years time.
1: That's it. Yeah, of course with the uh with the the plans for the new children's hospital coming down the tracks but um uh, what we're seeing is now you know for us really it's uh the, the, whether the equipment is here, or whether it'll ultimately be in the new hospital, it's all it's all badly needed. And of course, the children need need this right now. You know, so um, whenever the the new children's hospital comes along, it'll be fantastic. But um, in the meantime, for us, it's it's business as usual and making sure that we have the best facilities and the best equipment that we can possibly have for the children who need it today
0: Well I'm sure now in a hospital environment you're all about healthy eating but is there going to be an exception made to that on Friday whenever it is the Great Irish Bag? is Temple Street itself going to be filled to the brim with lots of cakes and buns
1: well, do you know what? We say a little of what you fancy, but of course we're going to have a healthy balance. We we made sure on the website with our recipes that we had some nice healthy brown bread and we're, we'll have that on the day, but of course a little bit, a
0: little bit. What are you making yourself?
1: Well, I'll definitely be making some nice Victoria sponges because they're my forte. Is that your, that's also, your thing, is it? That's my thing. That's the one thing that doesn't go wrong when I make it, but I'm also thinking of some nice chocolate
0: biscuit cake as well. Something oh, nice with a
1: cup of tea. Yes.
0: You're going to go all out.
1: Yeah, I'll try anyway. <laughs> well, I'd
0: say now I'll have to knock up some of the Northern Irish fifteen tray bakes. That um, oh God, yeah. you you know those now. Not everybody's <laughs> familiar with them, but Trish Dazean <laughs> has has been helping to put them on the market because she's the recipe for them in her her latest cookbook, Home. Oh, and gorgeous. between you and I, I'm not the best cook and I'm not the best baker, <laughs> so they're <laughs> about my limit. But uh, and I can't go wrong with them, or nobody can go wrong with them, and I I love them myself.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Again, something perfect with a nice cup of
0: tea. (laughs) Well, listen, a fantastic event for a fantastic cause and a very well-deserving cause. So we hope that you make your target and make all that money that you need to make to keep continuing the services and improving the services that you offer there. And thanks for joining me tonight to tell me about it. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers. Chin-chin.
2: Salut. Schleiter.
0: Lovely to hear about a great event for a great cause. So do drop me an email and a few pics of your begging efforts. Don't forget to put them up on social media there. And the website for more info is templestreet.ie. Still to come tonight, I'll be talking Mexican food at a curated dinner in the Science Gallery, Dublin. And finally, at the end of the show, I'll be talking to Liam Edwards, chairperson of Conceal Good Food Circle, about the all-Ireland chowder cook-off that's taking place in Conceal at the end of this month. Now, though, it's time for our monthly Northern Ireland Year of Food and Drink slot. The celebrations continue and the April theme is brewing and distilling. So who better to talk to than a master distiller and one that's based in a distillery, as I said, not too far from where I grew up. Delighted to have Colum Egan from Bushmills Whiskey on the phone now. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Colm, you're a master distiller. What exactly is that?
2: It's the best job in the whole wide world, Sharon. It's unbelievable. I have to pinch myself every morning, you know. Um, so I get to make uh, Bushmills whiskey uh, every day. And I suppose one of my key jobs is to make sure that the whiskey that we're making today is the same taste and the same character that we've made for the last 50 or last 100 years. You know, the reason why there's so many, I suppose, Bushmills whiskey adorers all around the world is that taste. Uh, and I suppose that's critical to what, what I have to do every day.
0: How old is it exactly?
2: You know, really, the history uh, dates back to almost the year the, uh, 1000. Uh, there's uh, references to making uh, Ishkabah in the local area and serving the local landlord, who was said to have uh, served it to his troops on going to battle. Uh, and way back then, into 1608, so for over 400 years ago, Bushman's got his first license uh, to distill whiskey. Uh, into the area called the route. So that's the area all the way around the distillery itself. Um, and so we're still making whiskey uh, to this day uh, using that license.
0: Isn't it amazing that it has lasted so long and that it's still there and it's stood the, the test of time? Why do you think that is?
2: Well, you know, I think the, the great thing about Bushmills is uh, we just don't compromise on quality. So really, once get people taste it, uh, they really appreciate how smooth and how easy and how enjoyable it is. So I suppose my biggest problem is to get just to get people to taste it, uh, and really it's that quality, that taste mark that has really stood the test of time. We haven't happened upon the recipes uh, in the bottles today, so those recipes if we're making whiskey have been handed down from master distiller to master distiller. And I suppose I'm very privileged to be in possession of that knowledge uh, right now, um, yeah, and, and I suppose I'm very proud. I suppose to represent you know over 400 years of whiskey making in the area. Um, so there are, I suppose, differences uh, to Bushmills. So it's that smoothness. So we distil the whiskey three times. So when you take a sip on your tongue, uh, you can immediately get that uh, wonderful, fruity, uh, light, floral character. Uh, and there's no burn in the back of the throat. It's very easy to uh, actually swallow. Uh, and then your palate is left really with a, a lovely, fruity, vanilla character that's really present throughout all the, the Bushmills whiskies.
0: What are the the basic ingredients for a good whiskey?
2: You know, I suppose these days people are are more and more uh, interested in the food and where the food came from. It's certainly the same with the whiskey. And I suppose one of the great things about uh, Bushmills is that really there are only two ingredients. So we use malted barley and we use water. So one of the reasons that the distillery was sited there all the years ago was the water source. Uh, So we are using the same water from the same column drill. Uh, Rill is an old name for a dam um, and then we use uh, malted barley really from, mainly from Cork and from Wexford Yeah, so the ingredients really would have been all uh, based I suppose more locally in, in times gone by uh, in that there would have been a lot of barley sown around the, the distillery itself so what would have happened is in the summertime a lot of the workers in the distillery would have gone out to harvest the crops, they would have brought them in uh, stored them, and now they were still uh, actually during the winter time. So it was, uh, you know, back a few hundred years ago, it was more like, almost like farmers making and using their excess crops to make the distilled spirit. You know, as we come more into more recent times, and volumes would have increased, we would have, the barley itself has to be allowed to sprout, and we dry it then over, over uh, open um, uh, air, sorry, we blast the air up through the barley itself. Um, so that uh, those activities would have been called malting, so we would have had our own malting uh, on site and we would have, I suppose in, as production increased then we would have outgrown the way that we spelled the barley, so we would have had to go uh, and get uh, malting companies to do it for us so the last malting company closed in Newtonards uh, about 20 years ago, and now there's only two remaining in Ireland, uh, that's in Cork and in uh, Kildare so that's where we get uh, all our Multi barley from these days.
0: This is all information then that you would impart whenever people come and come to visit Bush Mills because there is a fabulous visitor centre there which has been there a long time, longer than I care to remember. Because, uh, I mean, whenever I was growing up, any anytime you had visitors, you went down to the Giants Causeway, you went to the Carragher Reed Rope Bridge, and you went to Bush Mills Distillery.
2: You know, and, and it's great, it's just a beautiful part of the country and it's somewhere that everybody has to see I think there is one of the most wonderful drives when you come up from Larne up the coast road uh, up to Cushendall, Ballycastle uh, then into Bushmills uh, passing by the rope bridge, the Carragoree rope bridge on your way uh, to Hasselad the Causeway yourself uh, and then finally I suppose arriving at the distillery um, and I think uh, one of my best memories is having uh, a whiskey on the Causeway as the sun goes down over the horizon. Uh, And really, it's almost as if you're going back in time. The causeway is untouched or unmoved by uh, anything in recent times. It's it's the same now as it was 10,000 years ago. And I like to think our whiskey hasn't changed in a long number of years either. So I think there's a great, I suppose, marry or match when you're tasting a whiskey on the causeway. But I'm very proud of the way that we make Bushmills. so proud of the fact that, I want people to come to the distillery. So we welcome over 120,000 visitors from all over the world. Uh, and we show them each stage of the whiskey making process. So we show them where we take the water, and we take the barley in, uh, where we mill the barley. And we take the essence from the barley and we ferment it. And we distill it then three times. Uh, we actually have 10 beautiful gleaming copper pot stills. Uh, and the aromas, when you go through the stills, and through the still house is just uh, amazing it almost entices you in the whole distillery itself uh, and then we age the distilled spirit in oak barrels uh, for anything up to 40 years uh, but for a minimum of three and a half to four years um, and the impact I suppose that the wood and the oak has under the still spirit is just truly amazing uh, we use barrels that have been previously seasoned uh, with bourbon from the States uh, we go to Spain where we get sherry casks and we go to Portugal for port casks and we age the spirit in these different casks and when we take out the whiskey from the barrels they actually taste very very different uh, so that's really a lot where the brands come from then so we've Bushmills original which would be mainly coming from bourbon season barrels we Blackbush which comes from mainly sherry season casks so very different styles very different tastes but I like to think what a beautiful
0: I w- always give the advice to anybody going like, don't be the designated driver because at the end of that tour, uh-huh. you get to taste some of those different whiskies that you've just mentioned, and you have to guess which one is which, don't you?
2: Yeah, that's it. We I mean, like to compare as well, so we, like we do obviously think that Bush has a style level all of its own. Um, so we will get you to taste the different whiskies in the range: the original, the Black Bush, ten-year-old single malt, the sixteen or the twenty-one-year-old single malt. And then we'd actually get you to compare that to Scotch and to American whiskeys. And it just really shows you the huge variety that there is uh, in the world of whiskey. But most people push, pick Bushmills. So, you know, it always makes me happy. It gives a reason to, to my day and brings a smile to my face when I see someone trying uh, whiskey for the first time in the bar after, after their tour.
0: I'm curious now about you and how you became a master distiller and what you had to do to become one because it might not be well known that you actually studied down in my new neck of the woods at the University of Limerick.
2: I know, shall we changed places, I think. We uh, did, yeah, yeah. yeah we oh, did I a did switch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I studied down in uh, University of Limerick, so with XVIH for the first couple of years and became a university, I think, in 1990. Uh, and I did production management, so... Uh, it was a very good course. I loved it. I really enjoyed uh, my time down there. Uh, my old haunt of stables really was uh, a great memories. Uh, I think the friends I've made down there I'm still uh, huge friends with and uh, we return there every so often uh, for reunions and stuff like that so thoroughly enjoyable. Uh, and really from there I suppose it was a great degree and I was able to do lots of different things and I went into... Uh, breakfast cereal manufacturer which believe it or not it was the start of my olfactory training where I trained really on taste and smell uh, of breakfast cereals and I went in and got a job in a brewery over in London Anheuser-Busch and then I joined Irish Distillers bottling and blending of whiskey in uh, Dublin and from then uh, I had a great career move up to Bush Mills I suppose I had a real passion for whiskey real passion for taste and I just really feel feel now as if I've almost come home. I I get this great homely feeling uh, when I am up there. Uh, And it is uncanny. I think I was almost destined to be there. When I, my time in London, uh, I met this beautiful girl and we went back to see her parents. Uh, She was from 10 miles from the distillery itself. Um, And we went back to meet her family. And I've actually married that girl now, she's my wife.
0: Wow, Uh, lovely love story there. Um,
2: we're, li- we're living in our hometown, so back in, <clears throat> yeah, the first time I came back to our house, um, I the accent was very strong. I couldn't understand a word anybody was saying to me, so after about an hour, I said, hey, I'm going over to the distillery here. I'd never been. I'm really fascinated. So that very first day, I used the distillery to get away from my in-laws, and what's this now, 20 years later, I'm still using it to get away from the in-laws some days, I think. <laughs>
0: What does a typical day consist of? You in the distillery?
2: Yeah, well, the distillery itself—we're um, we're so busy these days. We actually make basically 24, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So, in, in, have a walk around and chat with the guys and see how uh, things have gone over the overnight. Uh, and we so our primary thing really is is on the taste. So we will taste uh, the water. We will taste the uh, spirit at each stage of the process. So we'll sample throughout the day. And we just ensure that those samples really match the very high quality standards that we have. So that would take um, the first, I suppose, couple of hours a day would really be going through the actual process itself. Uh, and just monitoring, and make sure that uh, we are staying and maintaining the, the standards that we always have. Really after that then it's huge variety. Uh, we do, as I say, welcome a huge amount of different visitors. We've had very high profile visitors to the distillery uh, over the years uh, from all kinds of different countries and uh, again we'd have to uh, welcome them um, but then we're also looking to the future so a lot of what we do is kind of innovation so we're looking to say well what are the next whiskies that are coming out so what are we going to be producing in five and ten years time um, because what we distill today isn't going to be put into a bottle uh, for at least five years so you're always really monitoring and trying to come up with nuances that will match the taste uh, in, the, in the future itself. Um, so there's a lot of people that work in the distillery as well. So like uh, over 100 people working, working there. So I have to ensure that they're happy at their work every day as well. Um, so I have that whole side to it as well.
0: It's but a great. T- the
2: main thing really is down to the taste at the end of the day. It's really all about the taste.
0: Well, it is a fantastic place to to visit. I Have very fond childhood memories of it, albeit i didn't yeah. get to didn't get to to taste the the whiskey in those days so it's great that it's northern Ireland year of food and drink at the moment, and I'm always saying on the show that there's never been a better time to visit Northern Ireland and that they should definitely take in a trip up around the North Antrim coast and give a spin into yourself and make sure that they say that they heard you on the show here and thanks so much for talking to us this evening
2: My pleasure Sharon, thanks me. and look come up and see us at Stillery, please do and mention my name and uh, you'll get in and do an extra special tour for any any of your listeners.
0: That's too good an offer to refuse now, thanks Callum
2: (laughs) right. bye bye now
0: You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. So far on the show tonight, Celine from Temple Street Children's University Hospital explained how we can all get begging this week to raise much-needed funds for the hospital. And as the April theme for the Northern Ireland Year of Food and Drink Celebrations is brewing and distilling, we heard from master distiller Colum Egan, who I have since found out comes from Leash originally. And um, Colum Egan is the master distiller at the infamous Bushmills Whiskey. Don't forget, if you missed any of the shows so far, it will be up on the podcast later in the week and you'll find it on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show or subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. We still have details to come tonight about the All-Ireland Chowder Cook-Off, but now it is time to talk Mexican food. And on two separate phones, I am going to be joined by Anthony O'Toole and Lily ramirez Foreign. Cheers. Chin chin.
2: Salut. Schleiter.
0: Lily and Anthony, you're both very welcome to the show tonight, and you're going to tell us about a very exciting event that you hosted recently. It was a curated dinner series for Field Test at Science Gallery Dublin. Lily, we'll start with you. What exactly was it?
3: Um, Well, the um, the topic for the for the exhibition at the moment is uh, future fishing, and it's um, um, farming methods of the future. So. When they approached us to do the to do the dinner, the first thing we we thought was this is perfect for the concept of la milpa, um, which is just a small holding, um, um where it's very old Mexican uh, farming method. It's over two and a half year, uh, two and a half thousand years old, and it was used up till the 1960s in Mexico, where uh, a family would get a small sort of land and they would. Uh, Live off it for the whole year it's um it's based on on the Trinity or the three sisters uh um as we call them uh of crops so uh, the farmer would would plant maize uh beans and squashes and then within the same plot land they would then plant other uh crops that would feed from each other and they would they would um help the lambs. Uh, uh totally organic, uh, they would uh, they would get food all year round and it, it was just all perfect and in synergy. Um, and until very recently uh, it, it kind of had been dying down uh, in favor of more you know high yield one crop uh, farming methods. And uh, recently through a wave of um, more younger and mother farmers, they have decided to go back and try these methods and and, uh, and work with it. So we decided this was perfect to um, to base the dinner on. So all our all, the whole um, the whole concept was based on beans, squashes, and um, maize.
0: You're originally from Mexico, Lily. So was this was something that was you were all very familiar with to start off with? Correct, yes. Anthony, how did you get involved then with Lily on this project?
4: Um, well, myself and Lily have been friends for many years, um, and we kind of bonded over our love for Diana Kennedy, who's an English person who's made herself kn- known in Mexico, and she's um, about tradition and documenting and preserving tradition and culture in Mexico, because it's quite regional. So myself and Lily have been planning to do a supper club for for the last couple of months and we were just in the Science Gallery and we mentioned it and then Tisha who owns the Cloud Picker Gallery mentioned that field tests coming up Um the Mexican Cyberclubs uh, you're planning would be a great uh, fit for this so let me contact the event coordinator and we'll go from there and that's how we kind of do it it was just to a meeting really and uh, went from there and they loved it when we met them they loved the idea they loved us they thought it was a a great fit um, and when we did it they complemented how well and how and how fun and enjoyment it was about Mexico but then incorporating Irish produce and champion Ireland in it as well so the whole blend between Mexico and Ireland and comparing and contrasting the two cultures together.
0: Tell me about the menu Lily what were you serving up on the night?
3: Um, we did a five course meal and um, we started with um, a welcome drink and a trio of um, corn tostadas. And um, we fermented some, um, some pineapple. Um, in Mexico, we call it tapache. And it's, uh, it's a very old drink. Um, and it's, uh, it's fermenting. And um, we didn't ferment it long enough to, for it to become beer. But uh, we had the other three corn tostadas. We had uh, Anthony's favorite, which is uh, uh, smoked mackerel. Um, uh, guacamole tostada with toasted seaweed on top.
0: That sounds lovely. Um, My so mouth yeah, is watering yeah. now at the sound <laughs> of that. Sounds lovely. Uh,
3: then we had one with beans and um, macaron feta um, and uh, a northern style guacamole which has um, um, pomegranate seeds on it. So that was kind of like a small welcome um, uh, drink and cannabis. And then people move into the table. We have uh, 25 uh, people over. And uh, our first uh, starter was um, a poblano pepper stuffed with uh, hibiscus flowers, uh, uh squash. And it was served on a bed of spicy beans. Uh, that was actually surprising. I was surprised, actually, because it's very surprising that it's the dish that people love the most. Everybody was kind of commenting and, and, and it was this idea that uh, the majority of people had this idea that Mexican food is quite spicy and they were surprised by I suppose the lack of heat on it uh, and and I think traditional Mexican food is, is quite mild um, and it's to your it's left to you to add the spice with uh, a, a really hot salsa so the main course we had Again, a trio of uh, corn tacos. Um, we made um, uh, oxtong uh, braised in uh, tequila and bay. Uh, that was that was really really good. Um, then we had also um, uh, chicken wings in uh, chocolate and Oaxacan chili
0: adobo. That sounds very unusual. Now, chicken wings with chocolate.
3: Yeah, we have to remember that Mexican chocolate is quite bitter. There's, there's no. Um, we're talking about pure raw cocoa beans as opposed to the sweet things that we tend to eat. So it's a, it's a savory dish, and it's, it's actually quite, quite tasty. Um, that kind of flew, and uh, the third one was wild mushrooms and uh, squash and chipotle, and it was cooked in 8 degrees beer. So it was really, really good. Um and I Anthony think you want to talk about
5: the dessert? The dessert was
4: a PNCO ice cream with masa and cloud picker coffee cookie and a PNCO Mescal syrup. And now this is a recipe that Lily is close to her heart and she won't let me share it to anyone but it's a secret.
0: You had to so you had to sign the Secrets Act, the official Secrets yeah, Act.
4: Yeah, it's a one that she's really uh, proud of and I'm I have to say it was really good because ice cream can tend to be too sweet uh, a lot and it doesn't really go very well with a lot of... Um, when you think of like a syrup as well an ice cream and then there's a cookie, so the whole thing went very well because the mass is quite earthy, so it's like a corn, um, which has been kind of steeped in limestone so it's going through a process called nixalization and you get an earthiness flavor and then you get the coffee, which is the cold coffee bean of ground in it. So you're getting the coffee no plus texture. And then you're getting the mezcal, which is kind of like, it's, it's a type of tequila, um, very high-range tequila. And with the PNCO, which is um, a raw cane sugar. So it's very, think of treacle is well, I kind of say here, but not as, tend to be that intense, that, you know, that caramelly, bitter Flavours, but it's not as intense. Like brown sugar, I'm almost kind of um, soft brown sugar or dark brown sugar flavour. So the whole thing was really good.
0: People. Really good People could be listening to that menu and think, "Oh my goodness, where did you source all the ingredients for that?" But of course, Lily has her fabulous shop there, Anthony. I think we'll let you talk about it because Lily might not—you know—she might not want to blow her own trumpet about the wonderful La Picado. Is that how you pronounce it?
4: Picado Mexican, yeah, and it's in on uh, South Risings Street in Dublin too. It's, uh, It's Ireland's first boutique Mexican grocer, and you can get. A lot of ingredients that you can't get anywhere else in Ireland because she's sourced directly from Mexico. As well, you can get ingredients from, you know, there's she's great suppliers who are producing um, jellies, and there's a nice Chipotle ketchup here from a friend of hers called Annette, um, who's based on County And then you have, there's jellies and jams from my head, uh, Purple Pantry as well who are great friends with Lily as well so there's a lot of mixture of craft products here okay lovely and so every, everything on the shelves is something that she's tasted personally with herself and with her you know respects her palate. so she comes in everything here you know it's really good and she'll come in and you could just say you know what's this product for and she'll give you 10 or 15 ideas and there's recipes online so she's you know truly it's a labour of love as I call it to Lily all the time her Maybe.
0: Well, the dinner now, there was only 25 people at it, so it was very exclusive. Have you plans to do another one in the future?
4: We have uh, definitely planning to do another one at um, the beginning of May, May 5th. We just need to confirm the plans this week, but definitely it's happening on May 5th. We just need to confirm the location and then the details will be up on mexican.com or on Bacatamexican on Twitter or my uh, Twitter handle, Culinary Press, or, or on our Facebook pages as well. So the information will be released later on this week.
0: Okay, and in the meantime, Lily, people can find you this Sunday in Dongarvan at the West Waterford Festival of Food. What are you up to there?
3: Correct. We're going to do a mes- uh, Mexican masterclass. I'm um, joining uh, the lovely Javier Zaguino, who's the a Mexican guy, uh, pretty much like myself, um, married to an Irish. Uh, girl, I'm married to an Irish guy, and they're based in uh, the in Waterport, and they just uh, started to make um, sauces, uh, Mexican style sauces. Um, so we're going to we're going to work together on a Mexican uh, cookery class and demo at the um, um, at the uh, festival. And it's on the. Um, it's at two o'clock on April seventeenth. So it's going to be worth. Um, it's going to be worth a, a, a peep in there.
0: So people should keep an eye out and track you down at two o'clock this Sunday in yeah, Dungarvan at the West Waterford Festival of Food. Your your profile is getting bigger and bigger, Lily. You're in the papers. Your recipes are there. You're you're really making a name for yourself in Ireland.
3: Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's been it's been a long time coming. I think. I, I, I think as Anthony put uh, quite right, um, I'm very very passionate about uh, food and showing what Mexican food, real Mexican food, is about. Uh, you know, you won't find um, you won't find me making burritos or nachos or anything like that. I I think. Um, I'm very proud of my uh, heritage and my food heritage. And I think over the 16 years I've been living in Ireland and through um, having met wonderful people who make amazing products in Ireland, I, I've, I've kind of come with some sort of Irish mix um, twist there as well. So I, I I really, really, it's my passion. So I think it's, it's something I really enjoy.
0: What's your personal favourite Mexican dish?
3: I think there's so many, but I, I actually really love mole, um, and mole is is uh, I like to put it in in an easy way. It's Mexico's answer to a curry. It's a uh, sauce made with uh, uh, chili and chocolate, and it's quite savory. So um, it's that's my favorite, and, and uh, my other half um, Alan, he he really loves it too. So it's something we kind of make uh, quite a lot at home.
0: What about you, Anthony? What's your favourite Mexican dish?
3: Oh, uh,
4: I think um, mo- Molly would be one. I like, I kind of just like tacos. Anything that can go uh, into a, a taco filling and this with sauce on top, I love that. I have
0: like a feeling.
4: Pork or seafood or ceviche. Yeah,
0: I have a feeling now the tacos that I might know may be completely different to the tacos that Lily would be selling there.
4: Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah, these would be uh, soft uh, corn tortillas, okay. real core and then you heat them up, and then you just put a little bit of filling in it, because a lot of people like to overfill their tacos. I did as well before I met Lily. Um, and then the sauce, and you just use it. So you can have more tacos. You can have seven or eight or some, nine or ten, instead of just having one or two fills.
0: Well, I really appreciate you taking the time tonight to share your passion about Mexican food. You'd be sure to keep us posted about the the next event in the Science Gallery there, and we'll let the listeners know. And in the meantime, best of luck this Sunday. Um, Lily with the demo, and Anthony will talk to you soon. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break Anthony and Lily were telling us all about the Mexican food that they served up at a curated dinner in the Science Gallery in Dublin that sounded like a fantastic menu and definitely look out for in the future. Earlier in the show, Celine from Temple Street Children's University Hospital explained how we can all get begging to raise much needed funds for the hospital. And as the April theme for the Northern Ireland Year of Food and Drink Celebrations is brewing and distilling, you heard me having a chat with master distiller Colm Egan, who went to the University of Limerick a, a, a good few years ago, he told me. He wasn't revealing how many. If you're just tuning in, you can catch the full show later in the week on the podcast soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash Show, or subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. We're at the final interview of the evening and it's with Liam Edwards. Liam is the chairperson of Kinsale Good Food Circle and he's all the news about the upcoming All-Ireland Chowder Cook-Off that's taking place on the weekend of Saturday, April the 23rd and Sunday the 24th of April. And I suspect we could have a recipe coming up here, folks. So pens at the ready.
4: Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up.
0: Delicious. Mmm. Liam, you're very welcome to the programme this evening and you're going to tell us all about the All-Ireland Chowder Cook-Off 2016.
5: Yeah, so basically it's hosted in Kinsale and we just, um, about six years ago, seven years ago, we we already run a very successful um, gourmet festival, which is the longest running festival in ireland which is the, and it's going into its 40th year this year but we we felt we just needed another festival and because the timing of the gourmet festival was october it was the end of the season so we just thought let's have something at the start of the season and get the season kicked off and get people talking about kinsale and i suppose we came up with the the chowder because i suppose it was a perfect fit for kinsale being by the sea and being some nameless with food we just thought the chowder a chowder competition would we looked around, we just saw there wasn't none really in the country. It was kind of, it's very famous in America, there's Chowder, there's Chowder festivals nearly in every state in America, and so we just kind of worked off that and just um, spoke to a few people in America and how they worked it, and yeah, we had the first one, five or six year now, we had the first one, and um, it kind of started off small like every festival, and it's just grown and grown, and we're kind of very happy with the progress of it now at the moment, and we just think it's going from strength to strength, and we just think Chowder Chowder is such a kind of a. Um, everybody has their own version of a chowder, and we just thought, no, this is a perfect example of you know, chefs showcasing how they do their own chowder. Like, no, there's no bad chowder out there. I don't think by any 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 of the competitors. It's just a different version of of, of the chowder, and, that, and that's what every all the. The, the punters love, they love the different versions and I think you know, it, it is definitely having all these chowders in one room is a, is a novelty, kind of a, an idea, you know.
0: Well you are going to give us a chowder recipe later yeah. on now but before we get to that just to find out a bit more about it, how it all works. So this is the sixth year and in the first year how many people would you have had there making chowder compared to um, the number that you expect to have this year?
5: Yeah, like we we, we had um, 15 competitors uh, on the first year but we what we did the first year we kind of we just, we, we kind of took local competitors, we had kind of, local fishermen, kind of, um, kind of, and we had uh, local restaurants were involved. So the next year we kind of, we said, look, will we try to do a different angle on it? Will we try and just concentrate a bit more around, the, around Ireland, you know, and we just try and get um, from different counties and, you know, and let's leave the local restaurants out of it because, you know, let's leave the, the Good Food Circle restaurants out of it for a year or two and just lets us kind of concentrate on entertaining these people, bringing them into it the, for the for the weekend, and it really worked, you know. We kind of, we, we like, we touched base with restaurants that we didn't know that we wouldn't have now normally touched base with, and we know we've built up a great kind of a rapport with them, and, Joe, you know, we've, we've gone back to those restaurants. Anybody in Kinsale who's, who's who's up and down will visit a restaurant that has competed in the Chowder Festival down in Kinsale. So last year we had 28 competitors, so, I mean, it's nearly... We try to get one from every county... In you know, obviously, counties in the Midlands would find it a little bit tougher to to come up with um to come up with chowder um, restaurants you know. But um, we are kind of like we have we have them from Donegal, we have them from Down, Derry, so we are well represented up the north. And then we have all coming down by Sligo, Mayo have won it two years in a row. The West End Baron Mayo won it two years in a row, so they were always very well represented, and they're coming down again next year. You know, so you know it's just. It is building up reputations and building up. It's building up a great kind of a response from the restaurants, and you know they're they're coming year in year out, and then there's always new restaurants. Obviously, some restaurants you know their situation, staff situation. They might be able to make it this year, and they said, well, they promised to be back next year." And you know they they they'd recommend another restaurant near near them, and that's what we've done. So it's you no, know, it's been a great success, you know.
0: Tell me, is it very competitive?
5: Like it is, you know. You know, chefs, chefs, <laughs> you know, chefs will be competitive. You know, they'll have a bit of banter, you know, but they'll. They all go around and they look what it, what our chefs are doing, you know, and it's all very friendly. But when it comes to it, John, you know, everybody loves to win, you know.
0: They're in it to win it. That's it win why they're it, there. Though. I mean, it's
5: it's a great marketing profile for a restaurant as well. You know, you you are deemed Ireland's number one chowder. You know, we are hosting the hosting the all Ireland chowder. You know, and you are you are deemed Ireland's number one best chowder. You know, so I mean, they 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 do use that marketing profile an awful lot as well. You know,
0: who won it last year?
5: Um, it was Loud, one, Fitzpatrick's and Loud. So they, or Bunratty Bunratty won it last year sorry Bunratty in and Fitzpatrick won it the year before so they're, yeah so their they're two now are coming back again this year so there'll be a, a fight at the bitter end with those two you know because so. they really had a good battle and they had a great banter because they brought down a whole team with them you know they brought down all the staff and they were really trying to sell it as well I mean you have to kind of sell the chowder as well, you know. I mean, the taste is one thing, but you have to kind of give them a bit of a story behind it. You have a, and these two were just brilliant at the at, at story, you know, the Bonratty and the Fitzpatricks. You know, they were excellent.
0: Well, let's talk about the judging process. How do you decide which one is the best or the public involved?
5: We let the public decide. That's that, that's the that's the bottom line. We, they come in with a voting card and the public decide. That's, it's a very straightforward process. They, they, everybody who enters just receives a voting card with the, the list of the competitors, they take their one, two, three, and we they put it into a box, and we we counted at the end.
0: And how many people do you have doing that? Is um, there a we, cap we, in that? Sorry, is there a cap on it? Is there a maximum number that that? No, no,
5: no. I mean, this year now we're we're um, over the years we, we hosted in um, the Acton's Hotel in Kinsale, which will be our biggest hotel, you know, we hosted in in the function room and also in the restaurant. But now this year we just felt it got so big that we we need a marquee, so we've, we've we've um we've a marquee in the lawn. So we're hoping to make it bigger and better this year, you know. So I mean, we've we've no we we open it for 2 or 2 3 hours and you know they really we've got great public support from it you know
0: so there's a bit of banter there with the customers and the judges and yeah, yeah
5: yeah I mean it, yeah it's a great opportunity and I mean, I mean they they're not only selling their own chowder they're selling their own place as well you know they you know they're talking to the they're talking to the public and they are they are talking about their own place as well you know and it gives people a memory of You know, if you taste the chowder from Limerick, you taste the chowder from Clare. You're down in Kinsale. If you're near the area, you you'll pop in. I mean, that's that's they have said that people have popped in. You know, because of they've tasted their their chowder down in Kinsale. You know.
0: So you have a chowder recipe yourself, which I presume you think is the best chowder. It's certainly going to be your favourite chowder, I would imagine.
5: Yeah, I mean, we've. That's I think that's the beauty of chowder. I think like if you could go around in a small town like Kinsale, and if you decided you were going to spend the whole day tasting chowders i don't think one chowder would would taste like the next chowder
0: really know. and what you know is it because there's a different amount of of the various different elements to it or yeah, like, some yeah, people put I mean, different herbs or spices into it's exactly it.
5: exactly that i mean every chef likes to have look i think it's a it's an opportunity there, there's no there's no recipe that's written in stone i think every chef likes to throw in their own little take on it you know and it's it's all different versions. It's red chowders. It's cream-based chowders. It's, you know, it's some will used, different variations of fish. Some wouldn't go near that. Like smoked haddock, some people wouldn't go near smoked haddock because it could be strong-flavored. Others make beautiful smoked haddock chowders, you know. It's, you know, it's, it, is, it, is, it is a great opportunity for chefs to, show, to have their little twist on it, you know, I do think.
0: Tell us what you put into yours.
5: Well, we do a red chowder, which sometimes, I mean, I find, I suppose, now going around Probably one in ten you do a red chowder it's not to be mistaken by a bisque it's it's, it's a red chowder because it's it's not a bisque, it's more of a kind of a lighter based kind of but this is a, this is a proper chowder, but it's just a tomato based so it it would be it would be a red chowder, so what we would normally do we would we would sweat off our carrots or celery or onions kind of in a dry heat you'd really i think this is where the flavor comes in. you just have to keep turning it, turning it turning it you know some people just conscious that it doesn't burn out then we would add our, our prawn shells and like that again it's kind of a dry heat and you just have to keep turning turning it will moisten a little bit because the, the, the flavours are coming off the shells you know but it's just to get that keep turning because that's where the, the flavour really is it's, it's all about the stock you know the flavours in your stock what you do afterwards is you're only finessing it but the flavours in the stock you know so that's where we spend all our effort in and like what we do then we just add a bit of um, tomato paste a little bit of white wine at this stage just to and just keep turning, turning, turning all the time. So we w- we would do that for about an hour. Some people would say, "Look, you know, where, where would I, where I get an opportunity to just keep turning a, a, for an hour?" But look, the chowder is very important to most restaurants, and it's also very very important to us. So we would do that for about an hour, and then we would add our water in it, and then we'd leave it boil, bring it to the boil, and we'd leave it simmer for anything up to three to four hours. Then we would strain it. And what we in a restaurant in a ret- restaurant situation, you can have a conveyor belt of chowder, so we'd, we'd strain that and you would have another chowder on the go straight away, you know, that kind of way. So we'd strain that, leave it overnight. Then we'd come back the next day. We would bring that stock to the boil. We'd just add a little bit of roux to it, just a pinch of um, bullion. And then what we're doing then is just tasting it all the time, you know, tasting as we're bringing it up to the boil. We're just tasting it and tasting it. Um, Sometimes we might add a little bit of touch of cream. Sometimes that might be a very powerful fish fish that stalks up, but a little bit of cream just brings a little bit of the the fish stock down a little bit and it adds a lovely kind of twist to it like you know but it would be a red chowder still you know so then that as, as it thickens you just get your perfect consistency um so then at at the very end we would add a, would, the only herb that we would put into our chowder is dill you know and um, dill is kind of really synonymous with with chowder you know and it's probably the most used herb in chowder and kind of just marries well with um white fish you know so we only use kind of local white fish in our chowder. We don't put any vegetables. We don't, and that's not to say that I wouldn't, you know, every, as I say, every every chowder to their own, you know, but we wouldn't put any vegetables or anything into it. We would just use local white fish. Good fish now would be ling because it really holds, doesn't flake into pieces. It really holds its um, flavor and it really holds its texture in the chowder. So ling is a great fish to use. You know, some people might say, oh, I wouldn't use ling because, you know, it's not really the ones that's used more people would would know haddock or they'd know whiting or they'd know um, cod but ling is a great fish for chowder so we use we use kind of ling we'd use cod and whatever whatever the fishmonger kind of recommends that he would have in we, we would we would put it in but it would be all local white fish that we would put into our chowder you know so that that would be how we would finish off our chowder you know
0: have you any idea how much of it you make on average per week
5: um well what we would make it 20, li- 20 litres is what we what our pot would make so we, we, we go through we go through about yeah on a summer we could go through three of those pots a, a week you know so that's uh, 60 litres of chowder you know
0: lovely uh, yeah so
5: very popular
0: and that's in summer when you would think that maybe soup isn't as in vogue in summer as it would be in winter
5: it is but I suppose you know the tourists the tourist trail that comes to Kinsale, they they like to get a favourite fish straight away, you know, and they they do realise, you know, chowder gives a, gives a nice taste at the restaurant. You don't see what their what their chowder is like, and the Americans love chowder, you no, they really do. They have a they have their own versions of chowder, obviously, and you know the the red chowder is kind of a lot used in Boston. I mean, we we have a going back to our chowder festival, we have a massive connection with them. Um, we're twinned with Newport in Rhode Island, so one of our prizes for the and it is every year is that we we arrange a trip to Newport they have a Chowder Festival in Newport which attracts about 15,000 um, people to their festival you know obviously ours wouldn't be as big as that but <laughs> yeah, so the the people who win the the, the restaurant that wins the, the Chowder Festival festival this year will get um, an invite so we will arrange their flights and their accommodation and they will get to attend the Chowder Festival in Newport you know so it's
0: that's a fantastic price. Yeah,
5: and they get to promote their own restaurant there as well, you know. So it's another opportunity to kind of promote yourself abroad, you know.
0: Yeah, and build up your connections, as yeah, you say. Yeah,
5: and it has worked well. And I mean, the, look, the, the restaurants that we've spoken to the, that have been over there, they, they've loved it over there and they've been well looked after. And, it, you, know, it, you know, as you said, it builds up the reputation abroad as well, you know. So, you know, it's worked very well, you know.
0: I have to ask you, is your restaurant handed down to you through your family? It is. Yeah, it is okay. we're,
5: it's uh, a... <laughs> Well uh, yeah for for 43 years in business now so
0: Okay so that like it's it's tried and tested that is it's for sure It's tried and
5: tested, yeah. yeah
0: Because it's tomato based can you argue that it is a bit it's much healthier than one that has the cream you in You could it? argue
5: that yeah definitely definitely I mean I like you will get people I mean we we like to we like to tell people that it is a tomato based chowder before because probably more it's the the cream based is probably uh, you get it more regularly in restaurants. So we, we do like to tell people, look, this is our chowder. It is a red-based chowder. But, yeah, definitely a healthier option as well.
0: Well, thanks so much for sharing the recipe with us no and for telling us about the, the cook-off. It yeah. is on Saturday, the...
5: Saturday and Sunday of the weekend, the 23rd and 24th. 23rd
0: and the 24th of April. Okay. And if people want to get more information, if they go to Kinsale Restaurants.com, all the details all are the there. All the
5: details are there. And look, hopefully we'll have the weather on our side and a trip down to Kinsale is only a few hours away. So
0: Absolutely, yeah. And a fantastic weekend yeah. awaits. No Liam, problem. thanks so much for no talking welcome. to me this evening.
5: OK, thanks very much for
0: having me. Cheers. Chin chin.
2: Salut. Schleiter.
0: Sadly, that brings us to the end of tonight's show, which, as I've said before, it'll be on the podcast later in the week. Thanks so much for your company and, of course, to all of tonight's guests celine colin lily anthony and liam until next week when the plan is to get some wine recommendations from our resident wine guru ron Forrestal. Sinead hennessy from Fulch ireland will have details about some other food events coming up and imam McDonnell, aka modern farmette is due in the studio to talk about her wonderful new cookbook lots to look forward to as always so until then bon appetit